0: It's no secret. America is in the throes of the most significant public health crisis ever. Addiction and overdose impact millions of families. In 2017, more than 72,000 people died from an accidental drug overdose in the U.S., while more than 88,000 people die annually from alcohol-related causes. Those statistics, while harrowing, don't articulate what substance
1: use looks like from person to person. As a society, we tend to look at substance use as cut and dry, a weakness or character flaw, when in reality, seeking pleasure is about as human as it gets. Avoiding pain is part of our daily cycle. This crisis is beginning to cause people to think about their behaviors and the way they treat others who use substances. So how does someone go from using drugs recreationally to building a tolerance or going through withdrawal? How can a high morph into an overdose? What about the family members who love someone struggling with addiction? What happens to them? Where do you turn when someone you love has died from a substance-related death? It's complicated. But with knowledge and support, hope exists.
0: We are five women under 35 who have loved, lost, and learned more than we ever wanted to about substance use. Our goal is simple, to give a voice to people across the globe impacted by substance use and to let them know they are not alone. By sharing our stories and evidence-based research as our driving force, we hope to open minds and ultimately save lives. Join us, the ladies of Live for Lolly, me, Chelsea Laliberte, Courtney Gunkelman, Jess Weston, Stephanie Cyrus, and our producer, Danny Mastriani, as we use our heroine voices to get sincere, honest, emotional, and probably a bit controversial from time to time. Stigma ends here, but hope begins here.
2: Hello, this is Laura Fry, Director of Patient and Family Services at Live for Lally. You are about to experience our fourth podcast, Pathways to Recovery. Tonight we will hear from three different people sharing their experiences with substance use disorder and their recovery stories. There is no right or wrong path to recovery, and the journeys can be as individual as snowflakes. Let's welcome Cole, Michelle, and Alex to our program.
0: Thanks for being here tonight guys. First I'd love to start um, just each of you giving us a little bit of background on you. Tell us a little bit about your story um, and why you chose to be here tonight to talk about it.
3: I'm Michelle. I'm uh, friends with Laura Fry. She had invited me to come and I was honored to be here because I love everything that live for Valley does, is doing, and is going to continue to do from putting Narcan in the public's hands, to the police, to every just everything that you guys do. But I have a little over two and a half years in recovery from substance use disorder. Heroin was my main drug of choice. Pretty much anything that numbed my soul was free game. When I first tried to get clean, um, it was hard because not a lot of people knew around me what to do and that was in early 2016 and um i was on my own so i ended up getting on methadone which is pretty much what i believe saved my life i did a lot of it alone nowadays there's just so much help out there that i just want people to use it and that seems like the hardest part i was willing to use it but i didn't know where to find it so now it's successful which is amazing that gives me a lot of hope for people struggling, and I just uh, am grateful today for where I'm at.
4: All right, My name is Alex Matheson. Uh, I work here at Live for Lolly as an outreach coordinator in McHenry County. I'm a person in long-term recovery myself from heroin use disorder. I have just about six years free from heroin, and that's been an absolute blessing. And I'm honored to be here and talk about my story and my struggles and where I found solace and peace. I'm
5: cole leone um I, what brought me here tonight is uh well actually i I've got come up on two and a half years clean off of heroin. that was my drug of choice. It was quite the brutal lifestyle to be living, and um uh, I'm just very grateful to be out of that lifestyle now and uh, I owe it to smart recovery and Live for Lolly for still being here and being part of this tonight um they are what helped me let's say, uh, see the light and finally get a grip on life.
1: Thank you all. It's amazing that all of you are sitting here today, and I know that you've been through so much. I'm really excited about the conversation today because I'm hoping there's people listening in that will like, find encouragement and strength knowing that there's people who have been in situations similar to them, knowing that they can figure out like, the right path to recovery. Before we go into more about all of your recovery. I think it would be interesting if each of you could share with the audience what it feels like to have substance use disorder, just so that people can better understand what your experiences were there.
4: So when it comes to substance use disorder and what that's like, unless you've really lived through it, there's no way you can really relate to it. At least that's my opinion. But I created a metaphor to kind of try to describe what that's like to other people. Now, picture... If your rational and, ir- and irrational minds were two separate entities, like living outside of themselves, now imagine that your irrational mind locked your rational mind in the trunk of a car with an iPad and a live stream for your life, destructing, and you and your rational mind sitting in the trunk of that car just screaming while this comes burning down around you. That, to me, is substance use disorder.
1: Wow, so you feel like you were aware of what was happening to your life?
4: I was totally aware of exactly everything that I was doing, and and it affected me in profound ways. I I was very sad about things that I was doing to the people I loved in order to continue to feel normal. Mm -hmm.
3: So substance use disorder for me was, again, not to feel. I didn't want to feel anything. I had trauma in my past that I had never dealt with. I thought I dealt with it, but I didn't really deal with it. For instance, I forgave somebody for hurting me, so I thought, but I really didn't deal with how it made me feel. I just said, okay, I forgive you, because that's the only way I'm going to get through it, without really dealing with it. So it was easier to numb myself from ever feeling the feelings behind that. And I think once I really realized that and dealt with it, I think that's what... Gave me the freedom to move past it finally and not know myself anymore because I know myself for a long time and heard a lot of people and watched myself do it, but couldn't stop because it was the only thing I knew and how to survive. I was in survival mode from dealing with things that I couldn't deal with because I didn't know how. So good therapy, healthy people around me, strong support, all of that and that's how I'm alive today.
0: So for you, it, it sounds like when you were in it, it was like very much emotional numbing. Like yes. It wasn't necessarily the high at all. It was just the emotional numb of it.
3: So the high was definitely a bonus at the time because mm-hmm. you're high and you, you don't feel anything but numb and euphoric. So, but it definitely, maybe it started out you know, hey, this is fun, I feel good, and wow, I feel really good, and I don't have to think about anything, so this is really awesome, and I can cut out all my thoughts and feelings, so yeah, it was a win-win for me to not deal with life, but now I get to deal with life, and I get to have feelings, and I get to have people that I can talk to and relate to that understand and have been in the same place I've been, and, and it's amazing. It's not dark in the womb.
5: For me, if I was to try to put it into a metaphor like Alex, I'd say it's like you're kind of stuck in the grips of a rusty vice trying to loosen it up and get out. You just can't, no matter what you do. Um, I mean, Alex said it, you, you can't understand it unless you've really been through it yourself. You just can't. I mean, you, you can try to have an understanding. You can maybe have a little of an understanding, but you just won't fully comprehend be able to relate on that same level with somebody that has gone through that in their life.
0: If you were to describe like, how it felt to be in substance use disorder in that state in like two adjectives, what would you say?
4: Alone and dark. Hopeless.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Despair.
1: So had any of you like went through different periods of recovery throughout your substance use? And then I guess a question after
3: that, What was then the differentiator this time around? For me, I had three months, and I was still hanging around with the same people, thinking that they were my friends, and that was just a reoccurrence of my disease waiting to happen. So once that happened, I was out there for four days, and I'm like, what am I doing? I had three months. That was the most time I've had in 35 years. Like, So, um, and I really got serious. Like I said, I went on methadone program and stopped hanging around those people. Realized that they never really were friends. They were just using partners. It was scary, but I made it through it, and here I am today.
4: For me, when I realized I could fit everything I owned in a backpack and I didn't have a roof over my head, that was an indicator that I had to choose between life and death in that moment. And I chose life.
0: What's the first thing you did when you chose life?
4: Uh, I reached out. I reached out for
5: help because I knew there were people that would help me. Mm -hmm. Uh, For me, I've had, I'm only 25 years old, but I've had so many different times that I had a couple months here, a couple weeks, or, you know, here and there, and I would always end up going back. And, okay, I'd say I knew from the get-go that my use, that I had a problem, and that I needed help from, from somebody somewhere. But the, what took me forever to get on board with was accepting that I needed the help. And you know what I mean? The difference between knowing it and accepting it. Once I finally accepted that I, that I needed the help, and that was willing to accept the help for what it was, that's when there was finally a change, I, I feel, with me.
1: Like, it was a decision also, your recovery that you made for yourself. I'm sure there were, like, loved ones that you maybe had conversations with that tried to push you into recovery at maybe stages when you weren't ready. But it sounds like all of you decided
2: at the time that you were ready for it and that it was something that you wanted to do. And what the data shows us is that, on average, it takes people nine times through a rehab program to attain... Long-term recovery.
5: Wow. I wish it only took me nine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: but
5: that's I, just I eventually proven, got it, but yeah. it didn't took more than nine times.
1: It's just proof of really how difficult it is. Right. If you guys were to recommend, like if you were talking to somebody else going through substance use disorder, like where would you tell them to start? What kind of ideas would you give them in regards to what they should do in their recovery or... What did you find most helpful for yourself?
0: Mm -hmm. Or even experiences that you don't want them to go through
4: that you tried? Well, I would ask the person going through a a use disorder, what techniques have worked in the past for them? If you've achieved any term of abstinence or recovery, what did you do to do that? Did you do that with a medication-assisted treatment? Did you do that through spirituality, what have you, and kind of work off of that? And for, for those new to the concept of recovery, you know, finally coming to the contemplation that they do need to change in order to better their lives I recommend them not to be as arrogant as I was in the beginning and think that I knew it all because I didn't, only by learning about these techniques for coping with stress and trauma and anxiety and depression by helping other people understand that I finally grew to understand that and I feel like I wasted years of my recovery not doing that
3: I agree with Alex, um, especially, not. I don't try to tell people what they should do. I more so now try to meet them where they're at and try to figure out what they want. Like My goal is to find out what their goals are because I don't know. I know what I've been through, and nobody knows exactly what I've been through but me. So the only way to help somebody is to let them kind of lead the path, hopefully, if they want. The help that I can offer them, then I'm there for them. And if they don't want the help, I'm still going to be there, whether they're ready for it, just to be present. And I, I try to be honest about what's worked for me, but not what works for me, will work for everybody. So I try not to, like, I mean, I'll tell them what, I'll share what has happened in my life and maybe a way I've dealt with it, but I don't try to tell anybody how to do anything because... If somebody told me how to do something, I'd go running the opposite way because I'm a rebel without a cause for no reason. Yeah. And That's just how I am. <laughs> and I know Dude. a lot of people are just like it. So
5: Yeah, I was the same way and uh, and that was a big turn off for me in the beginning of well, trying to get clean and go into treatments and stuff because that's all it was. It seemed like it was just people telling me what I need to do and that feeling like I was being talked down to mm-hmm. all the time. When Now looking back, it's like, okay, I see they were trying to help and, you know, they wanted the best for me, but it it didn't come off that way at the time. So, and it's a very touchy subject. Like, nobody wants to really talk about their addiction. I don't don't think really, I mean, not necessarily. It's not something that you're just comfortable just talking about to anybody. I mean, now now I have no problem with it. But back when I was using, uh, you know, if I was to give somebody advice, it would be just uh, really have a have a conversation with yourself or something, and 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 ask yourself what is it really worth getting high? Is it are are you getting high anymore? Is is it is it truly helping? Because if you are honest with yourself, that that's at least a start. at getting better.
3: You say that it's difficult to talk about and hard to open up about. Like back then, what would you say the best way to approach someone if you did want to help would be? Like, not telling them what to do, but even broaching the topic seems difficult.
4: Mm-hmm. I found that, for me, historically, uh, the easiest way to broach that subject is to relate to that subject. By saying, hey, I'm in recovery. Hey, I went through it, too. I totally get it. It is easier.
5: Come going up to somebody and trying to offer help. being haven't been in that same position in the past. Um, it's different when it's like my dad would come up to me and, and try to help me. You know, I know he wants to help, but like we said before, he doesn't quite understand. And so you can only do so much to get him to understand.
2: So do you think you would have related more so to someone who was in recovery or had heroin use disorder like you did?
5: Yes. I was, I was, uh, I was very lonely and a loner. I mean, back when I was using and I... Everybody's doing it now, it seems like, but back when I was doing it, it felt like I was the only one and there was nobody else I could talk to that was family or friends or or anybody, really, at the time.
2: So do you feel it's important for those of us in recovery to talk about it, to share our stories?
5: Oh, of course, yeah. How else is the word going to get out there and how how else is the awareness going to get spread?
3: Plus, you never know what you might share that somebody else can really relate to. Um, I don't know how many times I've brought up my story. I I have a son that I gave up for adoption eight years ago. And I work with a lot of adolescents. And a lot of them have been adopted or given up for adoption or whatnot. So it's really cool because I would never know that just looking at somebody. So just sharing it and being vulnerable to being open and not feeling ashamed because I made the right decision when I did. So... Just being confident in who the choices that I've made because they've got me where I am today. Not all of them were great choices, but they were choices that I made, and that's who I am. And being able to share that and let everybody know we're all human, we all make mistakes, we're not perfect, and there is help.
5: The help is there if you want it. So that's another piece of advice I'd say is don't don't be in denial or you know trick yourself into thinking that there's there's no there's no help out there. or There's no hope because there is.
1: Yeah, I know when you guys talked about the adjectives, that was something that somebody mentioned, like feeling alone. The
5: the, the hardest thing for me um, to do was, was, like I said before, was to ask for help. Mm-hmm. But that was the biggest thing that I ended up doing because I, I never got better until I finally did that.
0: Yeah. So when you say, like, it never got better until you asked for help, do you think— it's within the agency that you wanted it yourself is when things actually turned around or like when was it felt like a turning point for you guys in your recovery where it felt like this feels like long-term
4: when I was in active use I didn't care what anyone thought about my use Mm -hmm. I didn't No, I can agree with Cole you know addiction is a very lonely disease and when you're using it's fine I had to make the conscious decision come to the conclusion myself to choose recovery that had been suggested to me by all my family, by my friends, you know, random people that I didn't even know telling me that I should choose recovery. And those words meant nothing to me until I was able to do it for myself.
5: I wish I could put my finger on what exactly it was that changed for me. Some people can, I can't. Mm-hmm. Just something changed. Mm-hmm. I, I, could, I can not say that... I. I It was once I finally started attending Smart Recovery meetings and got affiliated with Live for Lolly that I finally seemed to be able to say goodbye, you know, for good. But with me, that aside, I I can't put my finger on what it was. It's just something just finally clicked. I was willing to get get better and take the steps that I needed to take in order to get to that point.
2: What
1: is Smart Recovery?
5: What is Smart Recovery? It's a uh, nonprofit organization that, uh, they host meetings at different locations throughout the week, and I think they have one some on the weekends too. But, anyways, uh, I, I've been attending their meetings since I got clean back in uh, let's see, I started attending July of 2016, and I've been clean since October of 2016. And, um, they're just meetings that it's kind of like AA and NA in a way, but it's its own thing at the same time. Um, like a and NA is about like not drinking and drug and I think Smart Recovery looks at it as alcohol and drugs are a symptom to the real problem My real problem is within my noggin my head you know and uh, I think Smart focuses more on the cognitive side of, of the struggle.
0: And why do you think Smart really resonated
5: with you? I, I, just, we just dig, I feel like we dig a little deeper and it's not all based around like I'm not bashing AA I'm not, I'm not bashing them by any means um, you know but the the whole steps and sponsor thing it's, it's all based around just that and it seems like with Smart there's we di- we dig a little deeper and there's there's more no boundaries kind of thing we get to the point no matter how what what take we got to do to get there kind of thing um, that's my viewpoint I could be completely wrong but
1: <laughs> have either of you attended Smart or are there other things that have helped aid in your recovery that you'd like to share.
4: I have attended SMART meetings, uh, not so much as a participant, but more as an observer. I was a very large fan of refuge recovery, which is a Buddhist-based recovery principle, which uh, really resonated with me. It's very heavy into meditation and Buddhist philosophy.
3: I go to a lot of different meetings because, like I said, I work in the field and I try to get information as much as I can to help as many people as I can, because like I said, not just one thing will work for everybody. And I also believe that I could take a little piece of something from everything. I mean, there's a lot of meditation that I, I mean, I read a lot of stuff, but I've yet to be in a meeting refuge recovery, but there's a lot of stuff that definitely makes me want to go check that out. I know a lot of people that are involved in it. I know a lot of people in, smart recovery, and I just
2: think the more knowledge you have, the more power you have. Do you think that peer support meetings are important? Something. For recovery?
5: I think there's got to be something. Um, peer support groups for sure are beneficial. The recovery's not just going to come to you. It doesn't work that way. It's with, or with anything in life. you got to work for it. You know, and touching on what Cole was saying
4: there and something that I said earlier, I believe addiction is a lonely disease, and by going to peer-driven, peer-moderated support groups, you are connected with a tribe of people that share similar viewpoints and ideologies as you. I feel like that sense of belonging can really help some people choose to recover.
3: I know I couldn't do this alone. I see a lot of people that try to do it by themselves, and it doesn't happen. I think that Whether it's family, friends, just outside support, whatever it is, the more support you have, the better chance you have. And I think that's unanimous for everybody. Well,
2: and you brought something up that as as a family member of someone in recovery, and I know that we have a lot of family members, loved ones, that listen to our podcast. Is there something that you can suggest families either should or shouldn't do um, with their loved ones, you know, we want you to be in recovery. But sometimes I feel that we don't really know what we should do or how we should say something. Is there, is there something that we should or shouldn't be doing? I think family members need
3: to get their own support for their own mental health, their own situation, because they, if a person is taken out of the situation, Uh, somebody that is in active addiction and they go back to the same situation that they left where the family members have not gotten any support or knowledge or information chances of them being able to support that person that came back is not going to be very likely now if they have the information and the tools because my parents didn't know anything about it
5: they just kind of let
3: me come to their house go hide in the room sleep leave grab some money on the way out the door and that was it nothing was talked about it wasn't dealt with they were in denial and now we talk about it now they know so much about it but yeah. they were no support to me they were just supporting whatever I wanted to do then so
5: if, if, if you're a family member and you got somebody struggling um I'm sorry to say but they can't be the only one to change The person with the problem, you gotta, you gotta adapt, you gotta change with them. It's 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 two way street. I mean, it doesn't mean that you went went somewhere wrong or that you raised them wrong or anything like that. But you know, you you gotta work through it together. That's essential, I think. And family members, you know, they gotta help themselves too. It's a family issue. It's not all put on the the addict's shoulders. You gotta live through it together. You gotta deal with it together. But through all the BS and stuff that I put my family through and we went through together, you know, it's unfortunate that we had to go through what we did, but it brought us to closer together in the end. It made, it made us a tighter-knit family and it, it made us closer, which, which I'm very fortunate. It can make things better in the end, you know, mm-hmm. through all the hell that, that you go through. If You work together.
4: Yeah, I have seen a lot of uh, a lot of different, differing opinions shared among people loving somebody in recovery. I would just like to emphasize that supporting somebody in active use is not the same thing as enabling somebody in active use. You can be supportive without enabling them. A lot of times they the person with SUD just wants to be heard and they want to be understood and they want to be judged. So do yourselves a favor, families of loved ones with SUD get some knowledge yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, make sure you practice your form of self-care too. You can't help somebody else if you need help yourself.
0: What does enabling look like for family?
5: Providing money. Providing, I mean, for me, it was money. For me, it was just providing a roof. Uh, You did that much for me, then you're you're doing a lot more for me.
0: There's one question that we asked on the first podcast was to kind of debunk any myths there are about substance use disorder and I'd love like to open the floor to you guys if there's any myths that you feel like people say about substance use disorder that you kind of want to debunk or um, say anything about like to our listeners
3: we don't choose to be this way we're not junkies we're not losers we're people could have been any of you
0: is there anything else you guys wanted to share for anyone that might be listening with substance use disorder family members to wrap it up tonight we really appreciate you guys sharing your stories and advice. Well,
5: thank you for having, having us.
4: For anyone that's listening that hasn't chosen recovery yet, it's not hopeless. You weren't made to suffer. Reach out.
2: Thank you. Any other closing comments that you want to add about your recovery or anything?
3: Just grateful today to be alive. Grateful first, second, third, fourth, maybe fifth chances. Um, grateful that my family has me back in their lives and I'm living today I wasn't living before I was existing
5: and that was it no longer the puppet I get to be the puppet master no it's life gets better life goes on and getting clean isn't easy but you know what neither is life when you are clean (laughs) you know you just got to deal with life for what it is and and move forward There's obstacles put in front of us for a reason, I believe, and those reasons I don't need to know. All that matters is that I'm still here and that I'm still kicking butt.
0: As someone that um, I lost my brother to a heroin overdose about three years ago, um, I so badly wish that he could talk to you guys and hear the hope and hear your stories. And so I really appreciate you guys' vulnerability, and you guys are really resilient and strong.
5: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: It's very inspiring, all of you seeing the strength that you you have and what you've been through. So I really appreciate you sharing, and I'm sure that those listening will be inspired as well.
2: Wow. I don't know about all of you listening, but this profoundly impacted me. I hope it did you as well. If you are a family of someone struggling, please reach out. We are out here to help you. If you are struggling, We are also here to help you, and if you're in recovery, start talking about it because we do recover. Thank you so much for joining us. If substance
3: use in any way impacts you, you are not alone. Help and support are available. Live for Lolly is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to providing support, safety, and education for patients and families impacted by substance use disorders and other mental health conditions. For information or help, please visit us at liveforlolly.org or on any of our social media channels. Call 844-584-52. 5-4
1: or email us at info at